It is so much fun celebrating the Christmas season with all of you and all of us together here. We have had a really good Advent together and so much good stuff happening here. We've had children singing and playing bells. We've had bells out in the gallery. We've had live sheep here last Sunday night. We've had choirs and a giant bass drum. We've had gifts from this congregation going out into our community. And last Sunday night, the star of Bethlehem rose high in the sky over our church building. I don't know how many of you got to see that, but that was pretty cool. But you know how, as, as, as good as all those things are, the best thing is that Jesus has been here among us. And Jesus has been at work here among us. And lives are being transformed. And prayers are being answered. And I am just so blessed and so excited to celebrate the coming of Jesus with people who have hearts so open as you and welcoming to Jesus. What a privilege. What a privilege. I just want to celebrate that today. It is good to, uh, to gather together and then to gather around God's word. We have these wonderful passages of scripture that come around again every Christmas time. A lot of them from Isaiah. If you would open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah is so full of richness about telling us about Jesus who's on the way. Isaiah chapter 40. Today we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Isaiah 40, 1 through 11. Comfort for God's people. So listen to God's word here. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. A voice said, Shout. I asked, What should I shout? Shout that the people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. 
he will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. God's word for us today. And turn over, if you would, to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3. Just a few verses. 8 through 15a. 2 Peter 3. 8 through 15a, almost at the very end of the scripture. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord really isn't slow, isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and to a new earth that he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Friends, this is God's word for us today. God, thank you. Thank you for being here among us. Thank you that you don't leave us all alone to figure this out, but you give us your word to guide us. So now by your spirit, give us ears to hear your voice, that it may be you speaking today. Amen. Can you believe Christmas is only four days away? (laughs) How did this happen? (laughs) How did this happen? Four days away. How did it get to be the end of 2014? Doesn't it seem like maybe two, three years ago that it was turning from 1999 to 2000? Literally, like maybe, maybe four years ago. Remember Y2K? It doesn't seem that long ago. Did I mention that Christmas is four days away? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I might have a few things left on my to-do list to get done. Time is flying, and here we are celebrating Christmas again. We just barely put away the decorations from last year, I think, and here we are celebrating Christmas again. Here we are traveling to Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph. Here we are listening to angels and shepherds, and here we are looking at 
a baby lying in a manger and saying, Emmanuel, God with us has come. Here we are again celebrating Christmas again. And we say that the fact that God with us has arrived, that Jesus has come, has changed the world forever. But has it? I mean, has it really changed the world forever? When I was in seventh grade, I somehow, and I don't really know how this happened, I somehow ended up as the scorekeeper for the junior high boys basketball team. Possibly because I didn't have any basketball talent myself, but I wanted to be part of things, so I don't really remember. But I do remember going to all the boys' basketball games and sitting there with my score sheet and keeping score. And I remember all the tiny little gymnasiums that we played in, and they were small. And I remember sitting uh, up one level from the bottom where the team was sitting once, and during play once, a basketball headed right for me that someone had thrown the wrong way. And I just reached out my hand like that so it didn't hit me in the face. And my hand went over the line and I was in bounds. And so it was a penalty. That's how small that gym was. (laughs) I also remember our team wasn't very good. There was a lot of movement, but there wasn't a lot of scoring. (laughs) And there was a lot of attempting at passing, but... Not a lot of successful passing. You can picture it. Maybe you've been on a team like that. I don't know about you, but to me, life in this world sometimes seems a lot like that junior high basketball team. A lot of shooting, but not much scoring. A lot of fouls and not so much moving the ball around. And every year we celebrate Christmas and we talk about hope and joy and love, but our world is still in pretty rough shape. Come to think of it, my heart could use some work as well, and probably all of us could say that if we were honest. So why are we celebrating Christmas again? Why am I standing in front of a congregation for the 18th time talking about the hope of Christmas, talking about how Jesus changes everything. Does he really change everything? We're not the first people to wonder if God has a plan for all this and if God's plan is really going to work out. We're not the first people to wonder if there is really a solid hope to hold on to. There was once a group of people living in a world that had been completely turned upside down, completely turned upside down. The Jewish people, God's own people, when we pick up the story here in Isaiah, they had lost everything. They'd lost everything. Isaiah, if you read it through, is a wrenching journey, a wrenching journey through God's people's unfaithfulness, and their disobedience, and God's warnings, and then they come back, and then they leave again, and God trying again and again to draw them in, and finally, finally the last straw has been put on the camel's back, and they lose everything. Their world has fallen apart. 
and they know it's their own fault. They've been unfaithful to God over and over again, and finally God allows a foreign country to come in and just sweep them away. We talked about this a few weeks ago. They've been carried off to a foreign land into exile. Isaiah has chapters and chapters of warning and heartbreak mixed with these wonderful statements of hope. And we get to one of these in chapter 40. After these chapters and chapters of warnings and and anguish, we come to the word comfort in chapter 40. Comfort, not just once. It starts out twice. Comfort, comfort my people says your God. In chapter 40, verse 1, comfort. Oh, that's a good word. That's a good word. That's like your favorite blanket or an arm around someone's shoulders or a place you love to be. Comfort. Today's scripture, someone has said, is magnificent to our aching souls. I like that. Comfort. We need that, don't we? Well, what's so good about this comfort that Isaiah is declaring here? He says that comfort, comfort my people, says your God. God is still claiming the Jews as his people. Despite all the things they've been through, despite all the times they've turned their back on him, despite all the terrible consequences and their lives being turned upside down, God is still saying, you're my people. You are my people. And that's the kind of God he is. He never gives up on us. He always claims us and calls us his own and draws us back to his heart, no matter what we've done, no matter how much we've thrown away everything he may have given us. Comfort, he says, to my people, to my people. And it says here, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Literally, that means speak to the heart. And when he says speak to Jerusalem, that's sort of shorthand for all the Jews, all God's people, kind of like we use Washington to mean the whole U.S. government. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, he says. And, and here's the comfort that's offered. Look at what he's offering as, as the reason they should be comforted. He says, tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. He's saying, God's wrath doesn't last forever. And there is grace. There is grace. That is a word I need, you need. That is a word our world needs, that it is never too far gone for God's grace. And then he gives them a word of hope. Look in verse 3. He says, listen. Something new is coming. Something is happening. God still has a plan. God is doing something new, and he tells them to get ready. He says, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting in the wilderness, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and the hills and straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. This is the kind of life-altering work that God does when he gets 
into our lives. So wonderful. I know that you could all tell stories of how God has done this kind of life-altering, straightening out in your lives. I've heard a lot of your stories. That's the stuff that hope is made of, isn't it? And then he tells us what, what they're getting ready for. Verse 5, look what he says. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. And just in case you don't know who this is from, he says, the Lord has spoken. This is God talking here. He's giving them a promise, a promise that gives them hope, a promise that God is going to show himself. His glory is going to be revealed, and not just to a few people, not just to the special people or the holy people or the chosen people or the people who are good at being religious. He says all people will see it together. And he goes on to tell them where to put their hope. He says, you know, your life is very temporary. Year leads on to year, and suddenly you're gone. Verse 6, he says, tell people that they are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers, he says, and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely all people are grass. The old King James Version said, all flesh is grass. I love how that's put. All flesh is grass. We can remember that. Well, how is this a message of hope? That our lives are fleeting, that our lives are as short-lived as grass that grows in the field. Well, he says, as, as fleeting as life seems, there is something more solid. There is something that lasts forever. He says, the grass withers and the flowers fade. So if we put our hope in, in anything else but God, then it's kind of a fool's bargain. But we can put our hope in the word of the Lord. He says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the basis of hope. This is like that lifetime guarantee that we get that says, no matter what happens, this will be solid. This will work. And then we fast forward 400 years, maybe a little more, and this hope is fulfilled. All these things Isaiah's been talking about happen at Christmas time. That's what we're celebrating here. That all these things that Isaiah was talking about came to be. That Jesus came. That, that plan of God happened. That that sign, that hope that he was talking about is not just pie in the sky, not just comforting ideas, but was going to become real in a person. And the birth of Jesus is a solid sign that God was serious when he gave them hope. He, God has not forgotten his people. He came, and that is hope. That's the down payment 
on the deposit. That's the, that's the, the lifetime guarantee for us. And then Jesus tells us when he comes that he'll come back again, right? This still isn't the end of the story. Christmas is not where the story ends. Jesus grew up. He lived. He died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven again, and he said, I will return. He will come back. And he says he will come back and make everything new and make everything right. That is the hope of Christmas. Well, can I ask you a question? Why is it taking so long? Jesus said he would return. And I don't know about you, but it's taken a long time. It's been 2,000 years, and we're still waiting. And this world is still so much in need of what Jesus has to offer us here. 2,000 years is a lot of Christmases of waiting and watching. Who likes waiting? I mean, none of us like to wait. 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about this exact thing that we're asking, this same question. Why is Jesus waiting so long to return, to come and make all things new? And, and 2 Peter 3 tells us that God's not taking a long time because he's forgotten us. It's because he's patient, because God tells time differently than we do. There's a story of a, a man who was taking it easy and lying on the grass and looking up at the clouds. He's looking at shapes in the clouds when he decided to ask God, God, how much is a million years? And God answered, well, in my frame of reference, it's about a minute. And the man thought for a moment and then asked, God, how much is a million dollars? And God answered, well, to me, it's just a penny. So the man thought for a moment longer, and then he said, God, can I have a penny? <laughs> and God answered, in a minute. <laughs> God's time scheme is different from our time scheme, the Bible says. Human time in, in Greek called chronos or chronological time is different than God's time. The, the Greek word is kairos or, or God's time, eternal time. Kairos breaks into our chronological time like, like the vertical cutting across the horizontal. The coming of God is always kairos time, the time of God's breaking into our world to do new things. And, and Peter tells us here that God's long timetable isn't God's slowness, which is how it may feel to us, but it's God's patience. He wants everyone to have time to come to him and be saved. See, we thought we were waiting on God, but God is waiting on us. Oh completely different. Verse 9, the Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. 
He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Because the Bible clearly tells us all of history is moving toward an endpoint. It's not just a circular thing that goes around and around, or it's not just a meaningless uh, succession of days, but all of history in God's hands is moving toward a culmination, a time when the world as we know it, Scripture tells us, will be done. And our opportunity to give our lives to God will end, and we will all have to stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. We will all have to answer for what we've chosen and and how we live, and, and we will finally get what we've been wanting all our lives, whether that's to be with God and connected with God or to have nothing to do with God. He will let us make that final choice, and he wants us to be ready. And not just us. He wants everyone to be ready. And so he's being patient and waiting so that we can have time to know that the only way we can stand before the judgment seat of God is to claim the mercy of Jesus Christ. To say, Jesus, I can never be good enough on my own, but what you have done on the cross, I want to hold on to that. I want to give my life to you. I want to take your life and make it my own That's the only way we can be ready. And he wants us to know that now is the time for us to share that with others so that others will also have the chance to know. The day of the Lord, it says in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment, only putting ourselves at the mercy of God. And walking through the wide door that Jesus has opened will make it possible for us to stand. The hope that this world will be made right is sure and secure. Christmas is the sign that this whole plan of God is happening. This whole plan of God is in motion. So, what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait? How do we live while we wait? Well, Peter tells us that too. He says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. And he says in verse 14, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. We can only do that through the power of God in our lives. We can't do that on our own power. And how does hope make this possible? How does knowing we have that solid lifetime guarantee make this kind of living possible. Well, going back to my seventh grade basketball team, you can picture how we did that season. But imagine, imagine that you were on a team like that. Maybe you've been on a team like that. And imagine the coach says to you, 
we have a new person joining our team. And this person that's coming to be on the team can do uh, slam dunks from the free throw line. And he holds the record for the highest scoring average per game. And he's one of the greatest defensive basketball players of all time. Are you ready? Michael Jordan is joining your seventh grade basketball team. Yes! What would the rest of your season be like? You know you are going to win the junior high championship. The rest of your season is going to be awesome. Now, we still have the season to play, but the final outcome is secure. And, you know, with Michael Jordan on your team, you can play with joy, you can play with inspiration, you can have a ton of fun. It's still going to be hard work probably even harder work because Michael Jordan's going to raise the level of play and probably make you work a lot faster and harder. But man, you can play with joy because with him on your side, you know the outcome is secure. Christmas tells us that God has come to be on our team. He is playing on our team. And the outcome is secure. We know what's going to happen at the end of the season. Christmas is worth celebrating because God keeps his promises. That's what Christmas is all about. God keeps his promises. He always has and he always will. And that is hope. That is hope to hold on to. So friends, let's live it. Let's play the game of life. Let's live with joy and abandon. And let's reach out to everybody we know with this good news before time is up. And let's live our lives grounded on that hope that Christmas tells us about. You game? You in? Let's live it. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we need what you bring. Without you, we can hardly get through the week. But with you, we have everything we need. It's so amazing. So God, free us from living lives where we wonder and struggle. But Help us to see every day, every morning when we get up, that you are on our team. And may that fill us with so much joy this week, so much hope that energizes all that we do. Plant our feet firmly in you, we pray. In Jesus' name.